Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hi, I'm Rebecca Wagner here with the host of Architecting, Adam Wagner. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Hey, so today we have a special show, and I, I've been saying we have a special show a lot, and I need to stop that because if every show is special, then it's not special, but today is actually special. So today is a recording of a live, of the first live event that we've ever done. So this was for Denver Design Week, sponsored by Modern Denver, and we were at Pair Workplace Solutions office downtown in Denver. Who was on the panel? So I'll do, I, I give a little more of an introduction in the beginning of this, so I'm not going to go into it too deep, but uh, this was a panel about starting your own firm. And so we had, so we had Stephen Denia of Denia Architects, Kevin Gwynn of Regular Architecture, and Joanna Amhoff and Hans Oshheim of Arkden Studio. And what'd you think? What'd you, you were there. Yeah, it was a great conversation. It was really fun and uh, just really natural. Yeah, I mean, I think... I started this with the goal of creating community and really wanting to do some live events. And this was our, our first live event with, with people and with uh, questions coming in from the audience. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. So check it out. Yeah, check it out. Hey everyone, Adam just left the studio, so I'm commandeering the microphone. I need to tell you about an amazing opportunity. It's an AIA grassroots program called the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program. This is a nine-month competitive program for 16 emerging professionals. The class gathers once a month for a half-day session where you get to dive deep on topics like research and technology, community engagement, contracts and negotiation, and entrepreneurship, all through the lens of leadership. I've been a participant myself and on the executive committee for two years, and I can't speak highly enough about the benefits. If you get accepted into this program, you will leave with a strengthened network, targeted, helpful AEC industry knowledge, inspiration, and incredible friendships. You can find out more and start filling out the live application on the website, aiacolorado.org backslash Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program. Applications are due by December 6th, and the class kicks off in late January. Check it out. Hey, what are you doing? Welcome to this uh, live uh, architecting event here. I feel, this feels really official, like a, like a real talk show host with a desk. I didn't know I'd have a desk. I thought we'd have some nice chairs, but get them up high and... Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Adam Wagner. I'm a, I'm a local uh, architect, a new firm uh, Vessel Office of Architecture. Um, and I teach at CU. And, and uh, yeah, about a year ago, I started this little niche uh, podcast. And I think when, when I started this, uh, I had two goals of just trying to uh, hear people's stories and kind of collect stories in the community and then, and then kind of build up a larger community and and help connect people and I've been uh, just really thankful and impressed by the amount of people who are are listening to this and the amount of kind of connections that we've been having and so I thank you thank you all for for listening um, I want to thank William Logan and modern in Denver especially I um, 
it during during last summer I tore down a fence and I didn't know what to do with the wood so I built a treehouse and then I I paid uh, JC Buck some margaritas and some tacos to take some pictures of it and I sent it cold sent it over to modern Denver and uh, after a few months I had a published treehouse and I had a sponsored podcast so I, I think it's been been awesome. Just I think anybody who knows William uh, just knows how uh, fantastic of a of a networker he is and how passionate he is about this community. And um, so yeah, I'm very thankful to him for kind of helping me out here and and helping to spread the word of this of this podcast. So that brings me to this uh, event today, which we're calling the Voyage Out: Stories of the Early Days of Colorado's Top Architecture Firms. Uh, I was kind of kicking around some different ideas about things to talk about, but really I just I just like hearing good stories and especially about uh, how people started and especially because uh, about two months ago I started this architecture firm actually with my partner back there, Justin Tower, uh, who's joining us from Connecticut this week. But uh, so I'm very fresh into a new firm, but this is my third firm. I've had a fir- another firm with my wife, Rebecca, when we were 23 for a few years. Uh, and then um, another firm a few years ago uh, where I just got lonely by myself and went and worked for another firm. So I think this is the third time's the charm. But so then I gathered these uh, three fantastic architects here. Uh, we have Stephen Dinya, who was one of the, one of the first uh, podcast guests and uh, one of the early people that I, I reached out to when I moved here. And then... I just like many people and hearing new stories. So I reached out to two people who I'd never met or two firms, three people who I'd never met before uh, and gracious enough to come on. So we have Kevin Gwynn, a a sole proprietor of regular architecture. And we have Hans Oshheim and Joanna. I got in my head that I was going to mess it up. It's such an easy word. Joanna Imhoff, who, so Stephen, of course, has had his firm for a long time. The, the the good FAIA older member amongst us. Uh, and Kevin has had his firm kind of a medium range of like 10, 10 years. And then their John and Hans are, I thought they were really early on, but they're like two to three years, three years. So uh, I kind of had a range of people and experiences. So uh, the format of this is we're going to have kind of three parts. So the first part is going to be uh, sort of origin stories, so kind of Petra Kucha style. They've all provided 10 slides, five minutes, kind of get a little overview of their stories. Um, and then we're going to open it up with a, a sort of panel um, amongst discussion amongst the rest of them. And then we'll open it up for kind of question and answer. So I like this size group. It's a good, I mean, it's better than like the little closet I'm normally in by myself uh, talking with people. Uh, and it's not overwhelming and huge so this is fantastic thanks Johnny. thanks for coming yeah yeah <laughs> so um yeah so i think we'll just dive in so we're we're gonna let steven go first with the the most experience so okay so <clears throat> i started um working in new york for skidmore owings and merrill in the 1980s <clears throat> and i um shifted and I opened a practice in Jackson Hole in the mid-90s and it was a, a radical and stark transition in context from the work that I was doing in New York and the environment I was in 
to uh, this hamlet surrounded by nature instead of um, containing nature. I thought I'd only get five seconds per Do you, 30 seconds. <laughs> I know I couldn't keep you to five seconds, but you get 30 seconds, and that was right on 30 seconds, okay. too. Okay, so, you know, you'll, you, many of you know this, some of you don't, but you'll learn to understand recessions as a regular feature of um, a career in architecture. And <clears throat> I had been through se several of them. In fact, I worked for uh, an architect that followed Aerosarinen's death um, he did not get to be made partner, and he started his own firm. The first thing I worked on was Windows on the World in the North Tower of the original Trade Center. Uh, anyway, um, this is what I transitioned to from the context of New York, which you know I will say that nature rules, and nature is um, uh, has an impact on daily life, kind of poetically and practically. Um, and you know, it was really shocking to do buildings in an environment where you had a sense of hot and cold, mm -hmm. where snow piled up. And, and this was the first major project we did in the late 90s. And you know, I used everything I was thinking of from my days of growing up in New Haven with Aero Saarinen and, and especially Louis Kahn being um, really in my head. And it was a moment frame building with the uh, skin of the building separate from the structure so that windows could go anywhere. And there's a lot of stories in that building. Anyway, uh, this is a little sampling of our work, but it is primarily saying that um, you know, we, we've done you know, 30 or 40 major houses or significant houses, and um, we have um, uh, always built models and still do, and uh, mock-ups. The office, the studio in Jackson is really a shop. It's in an industrial building, and you know we have tools, and it's a little bit of an ID shop. Uh, the pinnacle of the work in Jackson Hole was the Performing Arts Center, which we were the design architects for, and that was um, very exciting because you know you do private houses, you're not engaging architecture fully with um, with the with public experience, right? And to do a Performing Arts Center where you know, it becomes a cultural icon in, in the middle of a village. It was pretty exciting stuff at that time and really talked about architecture and, and human experience. And that kind of got me um, wound up to go to Denver and, and take up those opportunities. But, you know, this is sort of the result of it. I go to the, I'm going to the airport at six or seven o'clock in the morning. I stop at the coffee shop. There's a pile of the weekly newspaper. And I see this one on top, right? <laughs> you know. So I know I've been irritating enough people in Jackson and changing the way they thought, think about architecture, you know. And and um, and I had to have it. I, I took it. You know. It's great. And anyway, coming to Denver, I had an opportunity to do to work with the Zeppelins. Um, my vehicle into that was Will Bruder, but uh, we did that freight residence um, repurposing on the top left and. Yeah, after the recession, we just started our way through the site, doing master plans and doing buildings when the money was available. And the building on top is a condominium building on 18th and Gaylord. And I show that so that everybody doesn't think that I only work with the Zeppelins. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we just got a Colorado um, AIA award for that, that project. And down below is a lot of the stuff that I've done with the Zeppelins. You know, and it really taught me about developing a relationship with a developer, where it, you know you really 
get to understand each other's quirks and how to work together. You know, and, and with them, um, there were a lot of quirks, and you know, we kind of were able to understand what their point of view was and where they were coming from and where they were going, and help them along with that. So, you know, I'll say that whatever firm you have, whatever point of view, the human resources are the most important thing. That you know, if you can get the right people and keep them. Um, it's the most important thing, you know, do anything to make them welcome and feel purposeful uh, because it'll, it'll pay off. And uh, we've had, we had some of these people have been with the firm since the beginning or near the beginning, and the firm is about 27 years old. Okay. Thank you. We did this picture, by the way, in, uh, during the pandemic. You know, we couldn't get the offices in Jackson Hole and, and uh, Denver together um, physically, so we, we created this thing in the field. <laughs> that was nice. You were right. At, you were right at five minutes. I, I didn't know how. I, I, I like to keep to those schedules. Nice. I understand having been moderator. Yeah. I'm targeting two thirty, so we're going to. Oh, two thirty. <laughs> we had Stephen was one of the earlier guests, and we were doing it on Instagram Live, and I didn't realize you could only do like a forty-five minute long interview, and I kept seeing the forty-five minutes coming up, and I didn't know if it would cut us off or not, and I just his story was too good, and I couldn't cut it off, and then, yep, it kicked us off, and we had to restart it, and so those early podcasts are much worse but okay so i started regular architecture in 2014 it was actually win lawrence at the time with a buddy of mine um, scott lawrence and these first two pictures are going to kind of show the idea of like why i started the firm which i think to me was super interesting because as an architect i never thought about starting the firm to me like that didn't make any sense to me it wasn't something i wanted to do i worked in weird corporate firms coming out of school and always had my task and, and what I wanted to do. And um, in December of 2014, we got two phone calls. One was Hop Alley, this restaurant that I'm sure people have been to in Denver. Um, and the other was from a person we had at Immersion Workshop. Um, so Scott and I started this program called Immersion Workshop, which was an education program that we did yearly to teach people about site context of architecture and what that meant. And for me, meeting some of these incredible people like you know, Rick Joy, Richard Plassier, uh, Peter Stutchbury, they sort of explained to me like what being your true architect is about and, and what that can be. Um, so developing something that's you and how you want to build your goals. Um, and we were lucky enough to get this project, Hot Valley, as well as a residential project um, that sort of kicked off this firm and, and what we were doing with it. And, for the first three years, I worked my first, my full-time job, you know, 68 hours a week, and then every night would come home and work on some of these more fun projects where I got a little bit more satisfaction out of them, and I got to work directly with some people that I've grown to be friends, and the reason that image was there was because it was a night sitting at Hop Alley with my wife um, where my mood was just significantly different. <laughs> um, she was just like, what's going on here? What's happening? Um, and it was, it was this time when I realized that the, the work that I was doing, which was primarily developer-based, um, dollars-based, kind of just very cookie-cutter would be the, the way to describe it a lot of it, just wasn't making me happy and it wasn't fulfilling me as an architect. Um, so I had the opportunity to just leap, and, and that was sort of the, the catalyst that caused that leap to happen. There was a lot of days sitting 
this was the residential project we did. We did a full gut of this mid-century home in um, Cherry in Wash Park, and Scott and I actually just lived with a little wireless hotspot for about three weeks doing the construction drawings inside the house, which was super fun and just to take a tape measurement, you know, whenever you sort of needed those things. Um, but the focus of the firm generally has been about maintaining and creating relationships and really understanding the product typologies. So we've dug super deep into the restaurant typology and hospitality and understanding how these chefs and restaurateurs work within their spaces. Um, and the other focus is working solely with people who are the end users. So I just, I wanna work with people who are gonna use the space at the end of the day. I feel like there's more investment from the clients and I'm allowed to create a better relationship with them and understand what they're doing. Um, the previous picture, the, the to-go boxes and the white things were, <laughs> that was us actually putting those up and getting to-go from Hot Valley. So I was working with the restaurateur, putting up these, we were, were on a lift and it was dangerous and we hit ourselves on the head more than once, but it was super fun. And then, um, you know, it was, this was sort of the next one in line. This was a project where we sort of just moved in. This was the only project we were working on at the time. It was right after I decided to quit my real job. <laughs> it was, um, so we were just intensely invested in what this meant for the firm and for us growing up as, as an architecture firm. So, you know, we were, we were there all the time doing different pieces, probably more involved than we should have been. And that's probably the lesson that I keep teaching myself more often and, and over and over again. And, you know, testing ideas, I bought a welder, I learned how to weld, I learned how to paint, doing woodwork. And all these things to just sort of test that ideas and also try to put my little touch on a lot of these projects and um in some ways that's a great idea in some ways it's a horrible idea um, but it's been really fun and the clients seem to really appreciate that connection we're doing these sort of just like individual art pieces for every project that come directly from the firm and they get to hold on to that as part of their restaurant as they grow up which is has been super fun um, but, you know, for me, probably the most surprising thing about this and something I didn't think architecture was is for me, the architecture firm as a whole has been a, very, a way to, to garnish relationships and to create change. Um, so these last couple of pictures are just a bunch of my clients and the trips and things that I've been able to do with them. Um, but it's also been my opportunity to use architecture as a medium of change. Um, so I'm heavily involved with this group actually creating uh, a new chain for grain storage and how we're growing natural and heritage grains. So we're actually developing new ways to do stone milling and create flour. We're designing spaces for them that help them more efficiently get it out to their clients, help them sell it better, um, and then push that through the restaurant. So creating the restaurant designs in a way that helps them to push their ideologies. Um, so it's been really fun getting super deep into this sort of world where we're just trying to push a different idea and using building design and space and how we experience things to, to grow that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay, so I'm Joanna and this is Hans again. Um, we are not only partners at Arcden, we're also a husband and wife team. Um, we met way back in 2006 um, at the CU um, Masters of Architecture program, um, obviously well before the redevelopment of Union Station, and we've been together ever since. So 
after graduation, we did have started our careers, had some great opportunities and some great offices um, to really hone our skill and knowledge and craft of architecture and design. I was focused more on uh, single family residential work and Joanna was at larger scale offices where she was focused on mixed use, uh, educational and civic work. And so, um, well, after our careers were kind of underway, we decided to get married. And soon thereafter, we had two daughters um, who very quickly became the inspiration in our life, um, in our work, and the true motivation for starting our dance studio. Um, back in the spring of 2018, I um, took the step to um, quit my current architecture job and take some time off to really reflect on what I wanted to do next with my career. Um, at that point, I started to consider going off on my own. And soon after that, I got my first um, few couple jobs. And I didn't really have anything set up. I didn't have an office. Um, so I would rent out space at the Cherry Creek Public Library and host um, consultants there. And my jobs that I took on were less than um, ideal, <laughs> to say it lightly, but they were a great educational um, learning experience for me and a great starting point. Yeah, so in the winter of 2019, I had the opportunity, it was kind of at a crossroads, and so um, Joanna and I decided that we would go all in venture so we opened up our basement office with the kids in tow um, doing, doing their part and um, you know we had to this is this is really when we developed a brand and kind of dove in like I said head first into into what we were doing um, and this was also when we got kind of our first kind of real big commission and this was for us a bit of a dream job to remodel a mid-century home in uh, uh, Arapahoe Hills and there was a, a lot of opportunity in the home things. For a small example, like this um, bench on the exterior of the home, which ran in and became a hearth on the, uh, in this amazing fireplace on the interior, but was just lost in this hodgepodge of poor additions and, um, and poor design. So with this project and others in our office, we started to gain some momentum. Um, and at this point, we decided to grow up and move out of our basement, um, and we got our first office in an almost empty warehouse. Um, and it was, we hired our first full-time employee also at this time. And um, this move really allowed us to spread out and delve more deeply into the design process. And it was just when we started to feel like we were having more fun, and we are like, okay, this, is, this was the right move. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah, so concurrent to this, we still were, were heavily focused on this remodel, and this was, um, you know, a, a, an opportunity that we knew was going to be, um, we needed to be successful for the office to grow and continue, so we really poured ourselves into the, the design of the project to, um, you know, draw out what had become a, kind of a rundown home, and, and so we feel like we were pretty successful, as you can see with the before and after photos, and um, drawing out the, the beauty of this home potential. Yeah, so um, momentum was continuing, growth was continuing, um, and then the pandemic hit. 
and the world stopped. Those are some shelves in the in our local grocery store. Um, and really, everyone at this point worked was unsure of what the future held, um, including us. And um, around the same time, we were had our first publication in Modern in Denver, which we were just so grateful for the timing of because it really inspired us and motivated us to just keep going. So um, that's exactly what we did. And soon thereafter, we were able to open our own storefront. Um, we now have five awesome, a team of five. Um, wish I had a picture of them, but we just had our first professional photos done all together <laughs> last week. So, um, but you know, uh, while a lot has changed in the last three years for us, a lot has also stayed the same. Um, as you can see in this picture, Hans and I hosting a um, pretty important design meeting with a client over Zoom and, you know, our daughter there at my desk with her stuff everywhere um, in the background. So. Just producing drawings and yeah. handing them to yeah. you. Yeah. And, for us. yeah. Um, and so, you know, while things may look put together and, and um, organized on the surface, you, you just never know what's going on behind the scenes and, and um, motivating us. Great. Well, thank you. And, and thanks to these four, you know, like in typical architect fashion, I I didn't tell them about this presentation until like a week and a half ago, and so they they scrambled and sent it to me last night. And so thank thank you for doing this. You know, I think um, five minutes is way too short. Like I, uh, you know, I get I got to spend you know an hour and a half or whatever with Stephen, really hearing his story. And uh, I mean, I think you guys did an excellent job, kind of summing up your stories in five minutes, but. You know, I look at I look at your work, Stephen, and the things you put up there, and it inspires me and annoys me because it's so good. <laughs> but 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 I remember you talking about sort of um, those first years and like sort of why why you chose to leave SOM in New York doing these big projects, going to Jackson, and then what well, it was like five years where you were kind of banging your head a little bit and. Yeah. What was that experience like? Well, um, you know, the SOM thing <clears throat> was a lot of fun in the 80s. It was, uh, you know, we were arrogant little shits. <laughs> we were talking, I remember working in London for a couple of months, and we were, we were this was in the mid to late 80s, and we were talking about uh, getting on a, a, an SST and flying back in time in the year 2000 to catch New Year's at every capital. <laughs> that was, no, just gives you a sense of the mindset of, of a firm like SOM. At that time, we were the biggest in the world, I think, right? And, um, you know, it, it, I mean, they, everybody just wanted to do big work. And it was um, the, the scale of the environment was enormous. And um, the recession actually, it, it took a long time for them to call the firm, and it went from like, 450 to 180 uh, in New York. And, um, you know, I, I just started to realize that I'm not particularly really good at, at politics. And, you know, if you're not really good at politics, and I mean not just average, you know, I could survive it. I mean, if, you're, if you can't do that, this probably isn't the place for you. 
and uh, you know the even I was in the design department. New York is a departmentalized firm with a design and a technical department, and um, you know I just started to realize. And then I went and visited somebody in Jackson Hole, and you know I had no idea because I love New York and I didn't go out west much at all, right? But I realized that there was an incredible historically amount of resources in that town that you know the <clears throat> Rockefellers had donated the land for Grand Teton National Park. There was the history of the Mies van der Rohe House. The lore of that was very attractive. And there were, it's a very conservative environment, mostly uh, draws in financial guys from New York. And um, they, they want to play the, you know, uh, frontier fantasy game, right? And um, I just saw this opportunity of a lot of money, no modern houses, right? And, and how could you, like, just, how can I nudge my way into that place? And it took, it took a good bit of time to get this, the credibility for people to trust, you know? So you had to have something, and I just came from a firm, what am I gonna show them? Office towers, you know, in, in Jackson Hole, and it was just, I, I had nothing to really work with. Uh, and I just didn't wanna work with anybody there, really, because, um, there, there were no forward-thinking um, firms at that point, you know. And so um, it was a slog to start out, and um, finally, you know, we got some traction. And then once that happened, it just kind of steamrolled. And I didn't really plan on staying there necessarily because I don't particularly do well in a small town. In fact. Two years before I moved to Jackson Hole, I was working in San Francisco for SOM doing a project in um, Singapore, and and they offered to hire me there. And the partner who had sent me there in New York, you know, was was allowing this to happen if I wanted. And I said, "No, I couldn't. San Francisco is too small. Hmm. I couldn't possibly <laughs> live in San Francisco." And then two years later, I'm living in Jackson Hole, and then that thing was it was so radically different that it was amusing for about five years. You know, just the comparisons like FAR of one zero zero point, you know, like, like crazy small buildings and always trying to fight for, you know, um, doing new things, but, uh, you know, finally took hold and we made some progress. But there was enough, like, energy and excitement in that process that carried you for five years yeah, of doing well, work you know, that you weren't I'd super that, excited you know, about? I'd say there were things to grab onto, you know, like we did, smaller things and, you know, houses that weren't fully um, free. We didn't have the full freedom to do what we, you know, wanted to um, work with on a client, with a client. But, um, you know, at, times were changing a little bit as I was getting up there. And I will say that Will Bruder did three very forward-looking buildings in Jackson Hole and made that easier for us to, um, to proceed. You know, he introduced some radical ideas. If you think that thing in the newspaper, he, he was getting like, uh, you know, things in the mail where, where, where they, they, you know, they cut out letters from a magazine. <laughs> the whole way, whatever, back. I mean, that's how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fill some space, yeah. No, you know, I mean, yeah, I really appreciated him because he had the muscle to come in, you know, like make his hit and then leave. 
right? He didn't have to stay around for, for the crap, you know, and deal with it. <laughs> and so then Kevin, like with you, jumping off and, and then getting very specific on smaller projects where it seemed like you had a lot more control over the design and the design direction. Uh, what was that like to, to have that, but, but be sort of like so focused on smaller projects and then how to, how to lead to your decision to just be one person and not have anybody else. And <laughs> it's probably entirely selfish to be the <laughs> short answer. Um, you know, the, for me, the small projects coming from working with sort of big firms. I mean, the firm I left was a hundred people. Um, and I was doing project management. I wasn't touching design. I wasn't really doing anything. I got really good at figuring out details and getting things through permit. And to me, that wasn't architecture. Um, so when I had this opportunity to just really deep dive into projects and work directly with clients and understand what they wanted, understand the typology, understand how space works and how people experience that space, and then see it come to fruition throughout the design process and then how we start to finally build it, um, I just sort of fell in love with that. Um, so I sort of designed the entire practice around this idea of how can I stay heavily involved in all of those pieces as long as I can. And uh, I'm going to grasp onto it for as long as possible. And right now, the technique is really just trying not to take on more work than I can handle um, and turning down projects. Um, as backwards as that sounds is, you know, coming. I lost my job in 2009 when you bring up the recessions. Like that was one of the big sort of triggers for me too is, you know, understanding that this isn't always going to be a, a great thing that we're riding on top of. And last year was definitely a big gut check for me working with restaurants and primarily in hospitality. And, you know, I lost 90% of my work on March 14th. Um, it all came back um, and it's back with a vengeance now. But there were a few months last year where I was real scared. I was like, what am I doing? Am I going to be back working you know, in an office again? But uh, I'm just really trying to hold on to this idea that I can be heavily involved in a lot of different aspects, be on the job site, work on these super fun details and see the things in my mind come to fruition. Um, so there's there's always the thing, maybe, maybe there's someone else involved in that, um, but right now I'm just loving it, so. Yeah, and then for you guys, like we had a good copy the other day kind of talking about the beginning of the firm a little bit, but how, you know, it seemed like you, you came together and you kind of brought projects in more than you kind of would have thought and then were able to hire people pretty quickly and build build this good team. What was that experience like? <laughs> um, it was, I don't want to say frenetic, but it was definitely like there was a lot of work and there was a lot of, kind of like what Kevin was alluding to. It's like, do we turn this down or do we, do we take it and figure out how to make it work? And um, yeah, so when we started, we did have a few projects and we were able to kind of juggle those and balance those, but it became clear pretty quickly that we, <clears throat> that we needed more help, but also that we wanted more help and that we wanted to grow and be at a scale where we could um, have our hands kind of in things, but not be totally buried and, and have some opportunity to, to grow and evolve. And, um, and then one of the cornerstones, you know, of our office from the beginning is that we just wanted to offer ourselves and our employees a little bit more flexibility in general. Um, so we knew in order to be able to offer that, we had to have help. And so um, that was one of our goals was to right away 
um, bring on the right person that would help us be able to manage projects and also offer that flexibility. Um, and, you know, we took a little bit of a hit financially uh, starting off doing that, but, but the balance and flexibility that we got out of it was well worth it, so. Yeah, nice. Well, let's take, uh, is there any questions? Any other stories for the, anybody here? How did you go about just, besides the initial projects that you got, then trying to get the additional projects to follow? I just went out on my own. I had a similar thing where I'm like, cool, someone wants to hire me. I'm going to do this. Wait, how do I get the next one? Yeah. <laughs> you want to say your name and what your, like, and what's your firm? Um, Counterculture Studio, and cool. I just moved here from Salt Lake, so I started oh. building a base there, and then I moved here, and now I'm back to school. <laughs> <laughs> you want to jump in on the panel? And, uh, <laughs> the second one? <laughs> how do you get the second one? <laughs> so I guess right away I would say um, we really. Um, Throughout our careers, we focused a lot on building relationships um, with other architects in the industry. And um, this was probably one of the biggest surprises for us that came out of starting our firm is so many people that we've um, you know, nurtured relationships with over the years came, you know, showed up and sent us referrals. And that is truly what um, what got us going. And then, you know, one client turns, you know, they send a referral and it just kind of keeps snowballing. So, um, yeah, I would say. Yeah, because it was definitely those those architecture design network things, but it was also like um, real estate agents and contractors and other things like that. Learn to juggle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if you are a sole practitioner, you know, or you don't have the breadth of, say, having somebody who is, you know, starting out. <clears throat> I was talking to William earlier, talking about KPF. You know, KPF, one was the designer, one was the golden, you know, like she could get jobs from anywhere, right? And the other guy was, I guess, Fox was the business guy. But the, um, the, the fact that you have to be all of those things, you know, and you're never going to be all of those things, right? Because your your nature is going to show you, you know, are you shy? Are you outgoing? You know, how good are you at getting at building those relationships, right? And you know, you need to analyze it and understand it, you know, and know that you you have to apply yourself and and say that you know I need to put on my my uh, Promotional hat right now, right? And then I need to put on my design hat, right? And you know, and, and then the business stuff, you know. And I learned through the years of doing a lot of those things that you know I needed to offload eventually the things that I didn't do well and understand exactly what it was that I was not good at and figure out how to get someone else to do it. How's that work when you're by yourself, Kevin? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I had. <laughs> yeah, I waste too much time doing it. The short answer, um, yeah. but yeah, no, for me it was from the first two projects that I did that we did. There was about a year and a half gap until the next project came, 
Um, and that next project sort of just was like a springboard. It was just wild. Like they just all started falling into place. And a lot of it for me is the relationship base and different than architecture, real estate, things like that. Like I embedded myself in the industry that I wanted to work in. And I just, I'm at weird industry events. I'm meeting new chefs, meeting new people. And then I just get the phone calls. So um, I spend way too much time eating. <laughs> You're smart, yeah. yeah. Rebecca would always say, like, uh, like, why are you making a podcast for other architects? You're just interviewing your competitors. Like, make a podcast with lawyers or bankers or some <laughs> clients that you could actually get projects out of. But I don't want to talk to those guys. But, yeah. Um, so I have a question about that, like, work-life balance enigma. And I think part of the reason that I started independent practice was, you know, because of the pandemic and having small kids and being at home and taking out small projects and having them grow. Um, so I guess my question for you is, is it possible to be less than a full-time employee on your own, um, but be successful enough to pay all your bills hmm. and... Um, yeah, is it easier to balance when you're on your own versus when you're at a firm and you can't control your hours and your deadlines? And... I definitely feel like it's <clears throat> easier to balance on your own. Like the 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 day to day stresses are less. Like if I have to drop everything and pick up my daughter, like it's not a big deal. Nobody's gonna be like, whoa, whoa. But you know, but those those the other stresses are way bigger. More long-term stresses. So yes. this exactly. yeah. yeah, so it's it's easier to balance those day-to-day things, but the um, the other stresses are um, are more intense. But I think it's if you've got that balance, it's easier to handle. And, uh, that's why it's great for us because we can we can strategize and work together. And again, having employees and being able to see backup helps a lot. Yeah, so. yeah, because I think that's interesting for you guys for your team. But like to the question of can you be like a 70% sole proprietor yeah. and still get it to work? You know, that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's my end game. And then the reality is I, I've been trying to be very specific about who I'm working with, the type of work that I'm doing and how I'm growing, because my intent is for that sort of fee gap to, to shrink and that I'm getting a bigger fee for less projects. Um, and, doing a better job on those products. Um, so being able to, to really dig deep into you know a few projects a year versus doing a dozen. And doing that in a way that, that helps to, to grow that. Um, right now, like I would say like part of the reason I love what I'm doing and part of the reason I'm afraid to hire people and all these things and, and you know and some of it's probably dumbfounded, but it's that I really like my level of lifestyle and the life that I'm living because in you know, there are weeks where I feel like I'm that part-time employee <laughs> that's just kind of hanging out and not doing too much and, and it's really relaxing. And then there are weeks where, you know, I'm working way too much and life sucks and I'm like, why am I doing these drawings again? Why are five people that are already? Um, but overall, I think like it's a, it's a fun balance and I have control over it. And to me, like having that control makes even those busy weeks feel less busy somehow. It doesn't make any sense. Um, for me, the biggest negative being a sole proprietor is I don't feel like you ever turn off. So this idea of like trying to go on vacation, like that just doesn't even seem like a real thing to me right now. Um, so. 
when I think also like you you seems like you're really getting into a specialization, right? Yeah. And and trying to get really good at that one thing and then yeah. raise the fees up on that. Exactly. Um, is it possible to do it when you're a generalist? <laughs> I, it's got to be more difficult. Yeah. I know, like trying to get, I'm definitely trying to do some other type, you know, get into some other typology just out of pure interest and trying to just figure different things out. Because um, that's part of the fun of being an architecture is you're constantly learning, right? Um, every product typology is different. But um, it's definitely harder, I think, because I feel like there's so much more front-end work that I have to do personally to feel comfortable doing a job. Whereas when I'm jumping into some of these more hospitality-based projects, I feel like I have that piece in the back of my head that helps me to, to take that first leap yeah. where others didn't. So. I got this. Yeah. 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 I guess in that same thread, this is more for Stephen, I think, but you know, how do you start to grow your project typology from you know, when you're first starting out into something much larger? Yeah, well, you know, don't ever talk to me about work-life balance. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Um, you know, I, I was very enthusiastic um, when, you know, doing large projects in New York, right? This was fun, but I, I just think architecture is architecture, and I'll bite into anything. You know, so our, we are very much generalists, and um, no, no one's starting a practice in a resort community is not, is everyone is gonna do it based on single family high-end houses, right? That's the only place there could really be to um, make it all work. But then I went for um, uh, local workforce housing and we did probably seven or eight workforce housing projects in, in uh, Teton County. Um, and then of course the Performing Arts Center was interesting. I, <laughs> I've always been on arts boards in that community, and I was on the board that was raising eventually $35 million to um, build that um, arts complex, which you know was all private money. Um, and so they were they had a dispute with the architect on the first phase, and I saw the opportunity, you know, and I just and I took it. And, and I also did a bunch of restaurants in Jackson, you know, because um, you know I'd just go after anything. I, I just thought everything is a new learning uh, thing, you know, and of course it's insane, you know, I mean, it's, you know the, 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 but you know, I, I was, I, I learned the abuse early in SLM, you know, 16 hour days, six day yeah. weeks, right, I mean, you just got used to that way it is, and um, we, um, you know, I, I can't say that I really approve of that or, or carry it on to my own firm, which I you know, I'm, at this point, I'm actually bringing in other owners because I need to offload some of my burden, you know, and, and I'm realizing that, you know, it's getting time is going by. <laughs> yeah. Um, upper 60s, and I better <laughs> do something about 16-hour days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That doesn't work anymore. <clears throat> but, you know, it, it is not easy to do it. And, you know, it's, it's wise to specialize, obviously, right? Because you're reusing your knowledge, um, I just couldn't. I just always got very excited about something entirely new. Right now, we're doing a coal to carbon fiber campus in Sheridan, Wyoming. Hmm. You know, so that's a whole new learning experience, right? And uh, the problem with it is that you know, so I have one performing arts center, and then another one that I did the planning for in Michigan. But it's not enough for me to get more, you know, projects of that scale, right? They're going to look for somebody who's done five of them. Uh, and that's true for other project types. 
times. You know, I, went, I tried to get a history, history society museum in Jackson Hole, and I didn't have somebody on the team who was like, you know, museum tested, right? And someone else got it. But, um, and you know, it's always an emotional thing about getting or losing projects, right? I mean, yeah. 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 So, so Adam Steinbeck with UNM. So he's he's obviously he's their firm. It's growing, a lot of good stuff going on, a lot of uh, restaurants and things, and then also single family, and you're creating your own kind of like homes uh, company and and kind of growing in a different way. So how are you how are you guys dealing with that of trying to jump scales or or Get to that next step. Okay. <laughs> Can I get your notes after this? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think um, I think that's been our struggle too. And obviously, I think the pandemic's been been a little bit of a gut check, like you mentioned before. I think um, you know we've we've entertained the idea of going after RFPs or, or competitions, and I'm just curious if any of the speakers today have considered that or or gone after that as a way to jump their you know, their portfolio base. And I hate that 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 reasoning behind, you know, the chicken or the egg, you can't do it if you don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you just gotta fake it or you, you know, as architects we can put some things together enough that looks like we can do it. And I think, you know, ultimately that's what we've been able to branch a little bit. Um, so I was just curious, like is, is that a, is that an avenue for for anybody up there as far as Going after open competitions or RFPs, or is that something that's still? You just got to be careful which ones you go after, and know something about the politics of it, right? Um, I mean, often these um, RFPs have they're they're not really fair, you know. That there's there's favored parties involved, as open as you know. Sure. Yeah, and and um, you know you have to really be careful because you put a lot of resources into going after stuff right and um, if you do it repeatedly you know and I mean I, I learned a lesson in that that made me very careful about what I would go after and understand who was making the decisions you know and and um, um, we've gotten very few things in that way but I would encourage it, you know I think that it is a way viable way to up your game try one didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Now you have a, a competition or an RFP? Uh, an RFP. Yeah. We tried one as well, actually in collaboration with Building Collective with Chris here. Um, and, you know, it was, for me, I was sitting in on the interview um, and it was definitely a huge learning experience because I was invited to the interview because of my previous experience on some larger projects. And, um, you know, sitting in there, the very first question right out the gate was a really big question about process on a specific project that I had worked on. And I kind of froze and, um, you know, for some weird reason, I didn't feel at the time that I could answer that question on behalf of the magnitude of the team that worked on that project. And that was such a learning experience for me because when I left there, I, I, I botched the answer, of course. Um, <laughs> but when, 
when I left there and reflected, I I was like, why? I I had really valuable experience on the project. I may not have been running the whole process, but I was a part of every process of the project. And um, I should have had the confidence to sell myself and sell that. And um, I just didn't. And we didn't get the job. But, um, she didn't botch the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was something that was just, you know, kind of, I realized that, especially now um, owning, you know, our firm, you have to be able to sell yourself in instances like that. And um, you just can't be shy about it. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, yeah, Peter. Uh, for the panel in general, where do you get your inspiration from? And, and more importantly, how do you find out new technologies or materials? Because the world evolves so quickly. And in my world of residential, I get my inspiration. I love to travel hotels, hospitalities, where I, I get phenomenal ideas. And lighting and all these resources that come together, particularly when you're working independent, how do you, where do the ideas come from, and how is exposure so important on how you start bringing that to the table? There's like a thousand, you know, <laughs> e, uh, blogs or whatever. You, I mean, digitally, so much information comes in now on a daily basis, like through design and yeah. design boom and cello and all of the stuff, right? Um, that those ideas, almost you have to hold the floodgates against them because there's too many of them. And I'll have clients that you know, start to get into the, that source of, uh, of information, right? And it used to just be ripping something out of a magazine. Now they're forwarding me stuff from digital design stuff, you know? And, and um, uh, it, you know, I think of how hard it was 30 years ago to, I mean, especially like you're in Jackson Hole and there's no internet. Right? I mean, just think, just think about that. Like, where do you get your information from? Oh, architectural records here. Uh, uh, but um, you know, now it's such, it's so fluid. I agree. I do the same thing with travel. You know, and I, I get a lot of ideas about um, from hospitality. Uh, you know, and the other thing is just things. I don't know, the stuff I learned in Jackson Hall about the infiltration of natural light as a motivator for um, a residential design. You know, I mean, you could take that one medium and design a whole project around it, right? Uh, and you know, we always try to find something to latch onto so that every project counts. It all, you know, each one has an idea. And you know, we're not just going through the motions and doing a project because we have the project um, but uh, you know it's, it's artistically chaotic sometimes, right? Because you don't have an idea until the last moment. You know, you're still scribbling around and trying to get some artie to work out. And, um, architecture with a capital A. I will say I've. I'll be that person, but um, so during the pandemic, you know, travel has always been a huge thing for us. We love to, whether it's in the country, in state, out of state, um, another country, um, that's always been a huge inspiring motivator for us. Um, 
during the pandemic when you know suddenly that was out of the question. Um, Instagram, we found to actually be quite an exceptional tool because um, suddenly we had access to all these amazing firms around the world and to the point where if you had a question, you can simply DM that firm and, and reach out. Um, and so that has been quite a, a strong tool that we have used um, to look for inspiration. Um, you can save images, you know, for precedent images for projects. Um, and, and yeah, just being able to reach out and, and learn about new up and coming firms um, in other states and, um, and here, even in Denver. So. But what do you do when you're on hour four of wood joinery videos? <laughs> 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 Keep going. Okay, go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd agree. I mean, for, for me, I, I think travel's probably the, the biggest one. There's so much there that you can learn and see. And I try and experience space as much as possible in, in new spaces and see different things. But the other piece, I think, is education and just being involved with the generation that's coming up. They're so much smarter than us, and they see some crazy things that are coming up and different ideas, and um, just trying to be as involved as I can in different levels and different worlds. And that's part of why we started Immersion Workshop was to get just like-minded architects in the same room and talk to each other. And a lot like your podcast, it's just it's you know we learn from our peers at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay, let's do one last question. If there's one from. Crowd. Uh, so last last thing, what's what's one bit of advice you'd give to me or other early uh, founders and and how to start a firm or what not to do? Let's, let's start with you guys over there. Um, I mean, for me, it was I think it's just go for it. Like like Joanna was saying about the experience and about you know even talking about fake it till you make it. That's I think in some ways, maybe that's true, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of knowledge that, that you have that you maybe don't think you have. Um, and just to have that confidence and have that, like, okay, I'm just gonna figure it out and make it work. There's, 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 no, there's no right time, I don't think. Just kind of go for it. Yeah, and don't see what happens. Don't. <laughs> Like I was saying before, don't sell yourself short. If you're at the point where you're thinking about starting your own firm or in the process of starting your own firm, you know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, just own that. Have rich parents. Are you looking to adopt, Stephen? Are you? Uh... Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it is um, understanding the complexity of what you do and what's required of you. You you have to be a generalist to some degree. You know, you can't be blinders on. You know, I, I just follow what I like to do. You really have to understand that even if you're not good at it, you need to know a lot. You need to know a little about many things, you know, and you obviously know probably a lot about certain things, but you have to 
spread that out until you find out what it is you really do well and how could you um, assign the other things to someone who does it better than you. Uh, I would sort of just mimic what they're both saying, but just jump, I think. For me, it was a weird decision. I, I worked at my other firm for three years in lighting before I decided to leave, and it was like the month I took off and actually started getting in front of people's faces and working and marketing and pushing is when things started to happen. And I'd say every step of the way with this firm, it's when I made a decision or I said yes in a position where I didn't really feel comfortable doing that. Or the back of my mind, the logical part was like, this is a horrible idea. Every one of those decisions that I said yes to turned out incredibly well and propelled me in a level that I wouldn't expect. So just, I mean, say yes, take a leap. I think the, the design world, it's so small that, like I was saying, those, those relationships can be, can be important. One of our really good clients, um, I did some, I, I worked with him while I was at another firm, and then out of the blue, two and a half years later, he called me and was like, would you do another project? Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you, know, you never know where that's going to Great. Well, thank you all for being here and sharing sharing stories. And thank you for everybody for showing up today. And uh, this is fun. I've, I've been wanting to do this for a while. And so this was a great event to start it up and see, see real faces. So thank you. <laughs>